Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. This week, let's talk a little more about the nature of humility itself. In our soul, we have two opposite impulses. One impulse is, I am me. This is me. This is what I am. This is how I feel. This is what I want. This is me. There's a certain firmness to that. And anything that contradicts that threatens me. If I can't have what I want, I'm threatened. You're denying me. You can't deny me. You can't ignore me. I'm me. I am what I am, and that's all what I am. That's one impulse. The other impulse is, it doesn't have to be my way. I don't have to have what I want. I don't have to be what I am. It's negotiable. It's debatable. There's a flexibility there. That's what we call humble. So let's call it firmness and humility. You have to have both. You have to have a firmness to what you are. You can't be a wisp of smoke. On the other hand, if you're inflexible, then you're impossible. So you have to have a certain amount of flexibility. Let's understand these two impulses. The core of the soul, as is the case with the core of anything, is not negotiable. A soul cannot, in all humility, give up being a soul. It can't. A soul is a soul. A cat, (laughs) no matter how humble the cat might be, he can't stop being a cat. Humility doesn't do that. That which is the core of anything is fixed. It's firm. The only thing a soul can be is a soul. It can't compromise that. So there is no humility at the core of the soul. Now we're talking about the human soul. The godly soul is by its very nature humble, but that's a whole different story. The godly soul is eternal. It has nothing to worry about. It doesn't have to preserve itself. The human soul is mortal. So it must preserve itself, otherwise it'll disappear. So the core of a human soul has to be firm. It can't compromise itself. There's no humility there. Soul is a soul. In certain activities of the soul, the soul could be a little more flexible. So, a soul can't help being a soul. Otherwise, it's going to die. But a soul can be a little flexible in its opinions. It's not going to die if it changes its opinion. 
It can be a little flexible in its emotions. You don't always have to get angry. There's a little leeway there. There's a little flexibility there that is virtuous. So, at the core of your soul, there can be no compromise, there can be no flexibility, there can be no humility. The problem is that that attitude or that state somehow transfers itself to the emotions. The emotions are more closely related to the soul than the, than the mind, than the intelligences. So that the emotions mimic the core of the soul. So they have, the emotions, have this attitude. I am what I am, and that's all what I am, and if I'm angry, I'm angry, and there's no negotiating. I'm upset because I'm upset, and that, then, then I'm upset. That's it. Farfallen. No help, to, no help for it. The emotions are inflexible because they think they're the soul. Because they're rooted in the soul in such a way that the soul's personality kind of carries over to the emotions. That's what we call arrogance. When emotions behave like the soul itself, that's called arrogance. And that's why, what do you say to an arrogant person? Who do you think you are? <laughs> what do you say to an emotion that will not be flexible? What do you think you are? You think you're the soul itself? You're not. You're just an emotion. So lighten up. You're not a soul. It won't kill you. You see, these expressions are very wise. It won't kill you if you calm down and don't get angry. Only if you threaten a soul is it dangerous? You threaten an emotion, so you won't have the emotion. It's hard for the emotions to hear that because they don't have a natural humility. This makes sense so far? This firmness that the soul has is a sense of self. The soul knows itself and will not budge. This is me. This sense of self in the human soul came from Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge. Before they ate from the tree of knowledge, there was no self. There was only God. Whoever created me, that's what I am. I have my own identity? Unheard of. <laughs> For two hours until they ate from the tree. Eating from the tree introduced a sensation or an impulse that was good and bad. That's what the tree was. The tree of knowledge, good and bad. Now, what is it that is both good and bad? Self. On the one hand, if I have no self, if I'm not me, then what meaning would there be if I say, I love you? <laughs> there is no I. There is no me. So if I say I love you, it's not meaningful. When there's an I, I am me. I'm not you. And yet I choose to step out of myself 
and get involved with you and do for you and love you. Well, that, that means something. That's called a relationship. So without the self, if we said, I believe in God, it would mean nothing. There is no I. There's no relationship. By having a me, I am capable of a relationship. I can want you, I can think about you, I can love you, I can hate you, I can harass you, I can do all sorts of things. We are capable of a relationship. On the other hand, this sense of self, that is the beginning of all evil. Why are we jealous? Why do we get angry? Why are we resentful? Why are we suspicious? Why do we... Because you're threatening me. You talking to me? Did you say that? Did you call me? <laughs> you ignored me? That's where all the problems come from. So it's good and bad. The thing is that in the soul itself, the firmness, the identity is fine. It is a sense of self without selfishness. The problem with arrogance is that it is a sense of me that excludes you. And that's not necessary. There's a selfishness that is the bad side, the negative side of self-aware. Self-aware is good. Selfish, you've gone too far. So in the core of the soul, there is only a sense of self. But when the emotions feel that self, they turn it selfish. They make it nasty. Is a soul capable of transcending itself? On rare occasions, a soul can sacrifice itself for someone else or for something greater. But really what it's doing is not denying itself. Humility means to not have a sense of self. The soul, even at the time of self-sacrifice, what the soul is doing is giving up its connection to the body. It doesn't give up itself. So the martyr complex, for example, a person wants to be a martyr. What, is he denying his soul? Not at all. He thinks, and maybe he's correct, he thinks he is elevating his soul. He is ennobling his soul. He may even be liberating his soul from the body. He's not giving up being a soul. Okay, now let's talk about humility. Humility begins in the mind. And that's because there's a certain distance between mind and soul that allows the mind to recognize its own insignificance. The emotions are too connected. They think they are a soul. But the mind has an objectivity. It can look even at itself objectively. And that's why the true geniuses, the Einsteins of the world, 
are essentially humble people. Because the mind, by its very nature, doesn't have that shtick, doesn't have that attitude that I am like my soul, inflexible, uh, non-negotiable, uncompromising. However, the experience of humility, the seat of humility, is not so much in the mind where it begins, but where it shows up in the emotions. Here's how it works. If you fall in love with someone on inspiration, I mean, that's what falling in love means, right? You don't know why, you don't know how it happened, you met somebody and boom, <laughs> you fell in love. That's going to be very exciting. That is going to overwhelm you. That's going to be all you talk about. That's all you think about. You lose your appetite. You can't sleep. You don't want to eat. All you want to do is indulge in this feeling, in this love that you have discovered and found. The same is true with hate. <laughs> when you really hate somebody, it's consuming. That's all you think about. You can't eat. Your appetite is ruined. You can't sleep. You're disturbed. You're obsessed with this hatred. Love and hate are very intense, dramatic, high-energy feelings. And that's because they are so subjective and personal. Yeah, that's what they mean by love is blind. It means there's just something about you that makes you feel this way. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Suppose you then marry this person with whom you are madly in love. And a few years go by. Your appetite came back. <laughs> you can sleep fine now. You're not obsessed anymore. You're functional again. Do you still love your wife? Or is the love gone? When a married man thinks of his wife of many years, the honeymoon years are over, man thinks of his wife, what is he thinking? What is he feeling? What is the bond? What is the relationship? It might be that on a given day, the husband thinks to himself, do I love my wife? I don't feel it. It's not like I used to feel it. But she's my wife, so I love her. Suppose it gets even worse. It's not just that it's not the way it was during the honeymoon years. I'm actually quite upset with my wife. I'm disappointed. I'm uncomfortable with certain things about the way she behaves and the way she... I'm uncomfortable. So now, do I not love her? <laughs> She's my wife. She's my wife. Of course I love her. Same with children. You're not always overflowing with love for your children. Sometimes <laughs> they can be annoying too. They can be disappointing. They can be hurtful. 
But do you not love them? My children, I love them. Now, this is not an opinion. This is a state of heart. You are emotionally bonded to these people, even when there's no excitement. What do we call that emotion, that bond? We call this conviction. I mean, if this is your wife, well, of course, you have to love her. These are your children, well, and the conviction is in the heart. So that if you didn't act lovingly, if you were not kind, it would bother you in your heart, your conscience, not your mind. You would be disturbed and uncomfortable with yourself if you didn't act lovingly to the people that you love. So this is called conviction of love, not romantic love. This love is called humble. I am going to be good to my wife even when I'm in a bad mood because she's my wife. What is humble about that? What's humble about it is that I can put the facts first. If, in fact, this is my wife, well, then you got to do what you got to do. Right is right. If my feelings allow an objective reality to dictate to me how I should feel, that's because I'm humble. If I was arrogant, I wouldn't allow facts to tell me what to do. And this is true of all experiences. You're tempted to steal. You say, oh, no, I'm not going to steal. Why are you not going to steal? You're tempted. You want it. You need it. You like it. You won't get caught. Nah, I won't steal. What does that mean? Wrong is wrong. The fact is it's wrong. Maybe I don't even agree that it's wrong. I can't see why it's so wrong. But it is wrong. It's wrong. And if the fact is that it's wrong, then you obey the fact. That comes from humility. A person who can do what he got to do, that comes from a humility in the heart. And there are people who are really very good at this. They're the most delightful people. They have no hesitations. What needs to be done? Dig a hole? Oh, give me a shovel, I'll dig a hole. What do we need to do? Climb a mountain? I'll climb the mountain. Do I need to talk to somebody nicely? Fine. They have no resistance. Whatever needs to be done is fine with them. What is that? And you know the kind of people I'm talking about. Because we love them. They're the easiest people to get along with. They're, of course, the kind of people you want to hire. They're the best workers. And they are the most helpful friends. They're not the most romantic. You're not going to sit and discuss into the wee hours of the morning with them. But when you need something done, whatever it is, they never hesitate. It's not like, oh, uh, I, I don't do that. Mountain climbing? No, not me. Hey, you got to climb the mountain. You climb the mountain.
the ability to surrender to a fact. That is humility. The inability to go with the facts is a certain arrogance in the emotions. So a teenager, for example, who's stuck, he can't go to school, it's not working for him, so get a job, I can't do that, I can't do that. This is arrogance at work. Of course, you go to a psychologist, they'll tell you he has a low self-image. He doesn't, he has too high a self-image. This is not for him, this is not his style, this is not his taste, this is inflexible. He needs to learn humility. You gotta do what you gotta do. The same is true with the opposite of kindness, discipline, toughness, judgment. There are times when you are inspired with anger and hatred and condemnation for the bad guys. But then there are times you're not so inspired. Leave them alone. I, I don't want to hear about it. But you got to do what you got to do. So you may not be inspired to arrest the criminal, but you got to arrest them anyway because you, know, you got to do what you got to do. You're inspired to go on a diet. You're all excited. It's a whole new diet. It promises all sorts of wonderful things. And you're going to do it for sure. That was yesterday. <laughs> Today you're not so excited. So are you going to do it or not? If the excitement is what it hangs on, then there's no humility. That's like saying, excite me, inspire me, and I'll do it. It doesn't inspire me, then I don't do it. You see the arrogance there? It's like my way or no way. So if it inspires me, then it's my thing. Doesn't inspire me, I'm not doing it. Humble means whether it inspires me or not, you got to do what you got to do. It's the right thing to get tough. Well then, I'm getting tough. Why? You're supposed to. You got to discipline your children. You're not always in the mood. Of course, yesterday when you heard what the kid did, boy, you were inspired. But that was yesterday. Now you think about it, yeah, the kid lied to his teacher. Well, I'll talk. You're not in the mood anymore, so you let it go. Not right. The humility says what needs disciplining must be disciplined because right is right. And again, this is not an opinion, this is an emotion. So you have both the positive and the negative emotions, and they can both respond to a fact. That's humility. A lack of humility means you will not obey somebody else, because who is he to tell me what to do? You won't obey a book, a logical argument. You won't obey that either, because why should I do it? It's a good idea, but why should I do it? Why me? It's not touching me. It's not, in fact, you come up with a good idea and you won't do it, because don't tell me what to do. That's how bad it gets. So you talk to a child, a teenager, and you say, you know you shouldn't do it. Do you realize? He says, yeah, I know. 
So are you going to stop? No. The heart is too arrogant to obey or surrender to its own mind. Sometimes even to its own will. I don't want to do this. So you're going to stop? No. Why not? No. You don't want to do this. Yeah, but the emotions won't even listen to its own will. So arrogance and humility play out their games, their, their two sides, in the emotions more than in the intelligence, even though humility begins in intelligence. Now, obviously, a person can be arrogant in his mind. I think I'm the greatest. But that's not as damaging. So you think, yeah, the guy who thought he was a chicken. So he behaved like a chicken until a wise man came along and said, you can be a chicken and take a shower. Why can't the chicken take a shower? You can be a chicken and eat a sandwich. Why are you pecking food from the floor? Until he convinced him to behave like a complete mensch. The guy still thought he was a chicken, but who cared? <laughs> Think what you want, but act like a mensch. Right? So if a person is arrogant in his mind, so he's not such a chacham, you know? so he's not so smart. But when you're arrogant in the emotions, that's very damaging certainly to relationships and such. One other thing. In humility, there are a number of levels, degrees. I can be humble enough to admit to a fact. I really thought two and two was five. I still think two and two is five. But, you know, turns out that it's four. What am I going to do? Okay, so it's four. I can submit to a fact. Our country is at war with an enemy. They need soldiers. So I go. I mean, the fact is, you got you to do what you got to do. But if I should find out that I'm going to war out of humility, because when you got to do something, you do it. But I find out that you're not going. You're not going. You're not joining the army, and you're not going to fight. All of a sudden, I can't tolerate this. What do you mean? I'm going to go and you're not? No, no, no. That, this is, that much humility I do not have. I can submit to facts. But then the fact is true for you too. If we're at war, then, then we all got to go. Only I'm going to go and you're going to stay home? No, that's not right. So if a guy decides that the fact is that we must create a revolution, he won't just go off and do it himself. He'll drag everybody else with him. And anybody who doesn't join the revolution becomes the enemy. Because what, I'm going to fight for freedom and you're going to sit home? So there's a degree of humility, but not complete humility. A higher degree of humility means I will do what has to get done so that you won't have to do it. Why? Because you're more important. Why is it men go off to fight a war to protect their wives and children? 
Well, how is that fair? Why don't the wives and children have to go to war? Nobody thinks like that. Well, <laughs> decent people don't think like that. Yes, I will go to war so that you can stay home in safety. I might get killed, but that'll guarantee that you will be safe. That degree of humility is the deeper or higher level of humility than just being able to respond to a fact. So we have two kinds of humility. The ability to do what has to be done because right is right. And the ability to put someone else before yourself, above yourself. You need to rest, so you go and rest. I'll do the work. Not 50-50. That is real humility. But if I do that and resent it, if I'm the one who's always volunteering, and I'm the one who's always doing the work, and I'm the one who's always putting you first, and then one day I get up and I say, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm good to you and you do nothing? I'm the one who always has to take care of all the problems? All of a sudden he's depressed and angry about it. It means that he was never humble about it. He was doing it hoping to get some kind of reward. And when he gets no reward, now he's resentful, he's angry, he's depressed, he quits, he's not doing it no more. Like a man said to me, he says, you know, I've been good to my wife for eight years. What have I got to show for it? What are you supposed to have? What are you supposed to have to show for it? A medal? A promotion? What? You've been good to your wife for eight years. That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> That's good. You've been good. What have I got to show for it? You resent having been good? That was never humble. A humble person doesn't resent being good. He does what needs to be done and never resents it because you got to do what you got to do. What's the problem? But this discomfort, hey, I'm, I'm doing all the work here. Where does that come from? Not from humility, from, from inflexibility and arrogance. What is the difference now between humility and a shmata, a dish rag? A person who says, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, go ahead, tell you, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> whatever you want, we'll do it your way. Is that humility or is that just being a, a wet rag? Is this person a healthy, flexible individual or is he a damaged human being? See, a person can become very humble, very submissive, not because of humility, but because of discouragement. Look, it never works my way anyway. I've never been able to get my way anyway, so whatever, I don't Sure, do it your way. Should we go? Oh, I, I, I don't know, what do you think? Is that humility or timidness? Is it because you're afraid to have an opinion? That's not humility.
that's a damaged person. He was either discouraged terribly as a child or he has been defeated too often so that his spirit is broken. That's not humility. And this, of course, is a very important thing to know because if you're trying to humble somebody, be careful not to break him. The result is not the same. If you break a person, you've destroyed him. If you humble a person, you've liberated him. Very different. And now our closing thought. How many forms does humility come in? There is the humility of Moses. Moshe was the most humble person on the earth. What made him humble? What was the nature of his humility? He knew his own greatness. In fact, he wrote it. <laughs> because God dictated these words, but he wrote it. He wrote the words, there will never be another prophet like Moses. Oh, that's a compliment. He knew it. He knew that of all the Jews in the world, God chose him to go up to Mount Sinai, and no one else was allowed on the mountain. He can't ignore this. He himself said, I will appoint judges over the hundreds and the tens and the thousands, and if they can't answer your question, then come to me. I'll answer it. He knew who he was. He knew what he was. He knew his abilities, he knew his talents, he knew his greatness. So what was his humility? His humility was, what I have are gifts. If you were given those gifts, then you would be Moses. So what credit do I get? A young man asked an older Hasid who had survived the gulags and the uh, abuses of communism and remained strong and enthusiastic and Jewish and the young man said how did you do it all those years how could you stand up against all that pressure and all those threats and pain and so on and the chassid very simply said you had to do what you had to do if you were there you would do it living in America you can't imagine putting up with all that but if you were in Russia at the time, then you would have no choice and you would do what you have to do. And maybe even better. So, the first kind of humility is basically the awareness and the conviction. Whatever talents I have, and I do have some talents, whatever strengths I have, everybody has some strengths, whatever intelligence I have, everybody's got some intelligence, those are gifts. Now, what you do with those gifts is to your credit. But having the gifts, that doesn't make you special. Just gifted. So imagine, if someone else had your gifts, would they have put it to better use than you did? Possibly. And that's humbling. Moshe thought, for example, I go up the mountain, I speak to God face to face, and he gives me commandments, so I obey them. <laughs> Big deal. Who wouldn't obey the commandments if they went up the mountain and spoke to God face to face? But look at these Jews. 
They were not on the mountain. They are the children of the people who stood at the foot of the mountain. God never even spoke to them. And they're keeping the same commandments I'm keeping with the same devotion. So who's greater? That's one form. Another form of humility. If I judge another person and I say, yeah, they're not doing so well. Well, the guy can't get his act together. His marriage is a shambles. He doesn't know how to be a mensch. His business is not going so well. So I feel superior. Humility means compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. Don't look at yourself and say, oh, my business is doing well. His business is not doing well. He's a shlomazel. He's a loser. That's not how you measure things. Put yourself in his business at this time with his conditions and ask yourself if you could do better. Humility means before you judge another person, put yourself in his place and see if you could do better. You don't know that you could. In fact, in certain ways, when you fail in what you're supposed to be doing, you're a bigger failure than him failing in what he's supposed to be doing because you know better. You've had more opportunity. You have less excuse for your little failures than he has for his huge failures. So who's worse? The ultimate humility comes from surrender to the truth. Humility doesn't mean I'm not good. Humility doesn't mean I fail. Humility doesn't mean I'm disappointed with myself or disgusted with myself. That's a whole different thing. It has nothing to do with humility. You can be a very arrogant person and be disgusted with yourself. And it won't make you any more humble or any less arrogant. Humility is the surrender and the insignificance that one feels when they meet with the truth. Because that is the effect that truth has. It humbles. You know, sometimes you think of something, you read something, you hear, and it strikes you. Boy, that's true. The person who says, yeah, that's, that's true, is experiencing a moment of humility. An arrogant person never says, that's true. The arrogant person will say, I agree with that. Oh, that makes sense to me. Oh, I know that. I have always known that. <laughs> I could have told you that. They don't use the word truth because truth is too humbling. What are you supposed to do with truth? What do you say to a truth when you meet one? <laughs> what do you say to beauty? You say, wow, that's beautiful. What do you say to logical? You say, poof, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What do you say to truth? What do you say? You're beautiful? You make sense? There's nothing you can say. Truth 
is just too overwhelming. All you can say is, uh-huh, that, that's true. That's true means you like it, you don't like it. No, like and not like is irrelevant. This is true. So when you say, oh, that's true, then you're saying, I'm out of the picture. It's not about me. Nobody's asking me my opinion. Nobody wants to know how I feel about it. It's true. That's it. That's the ultimate statement. And when you meet with truth, your only reaction, the only proper reaction, is humility. True is true. You have nothing more to say. Arrogance prevents us from ever facing the truth. So here's an interesting question to ponder. What is the opposite of arrogance? You could say the opposite of arrogance is humility. Or you could say the opposite of arrogance is truth. Truth. What is the opposite of humility? Arrogance or falsehood? It's a toss-up. Because arrogance means out of touch with truth. Not true. Brilliant maybe, talented maybe, beautiful, but not true. That's arrogance. Arrogance is a coloration. It's not the truth. It's a spin. It's not the truth. Humility means no spin. True is true. And truth is indestructible. Teach children to be humble. You don't say, why can't you be more humble? <laughs> You're not humble enough. You need more. No. What you do is, you say, but this is the truth. But this is the truth. So, without saying it, you're expecting or demanding a humble response. Because what do you say to truth? So when a kid says, I don't like, I don't want, I don't, I don't feel, and you say, yeah, but you know, kosher is kosher, non-kosher is non-kosher. That cultivates in the child the ability to recognize truth and submit to truth, and that is what we call humble. But a school in which humility is actually taught, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work so well. Are you humble yet? You're not as humble as me. No, no, you need to be a little more humble. Try a little harder, be a little more humble. And the next day he comes back, he says, hey, I tried, I succeeded. <laughs> There's something fishy about this, you know? <laughs> so you don't attack humility head on. So let's get humble. <laughs> let's appreciate truth. Let's respond to truth, not deny it or ignore it or avoid it. Look for it. Hope for it want it and you will respond correctly because there's only one response to truth it's true that's it
doesn't get better than that. Any questions, people? Yeah. Humility. Uh, people that I do understand. Um, does, does life treat them better and vice versa? It sure seems that way. Humble people seem to have better lives. But I mean more than that. I mean like if, if you have a business and, and does your business going to strive better because you have humility and if you, some arrogant people doing very well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> How true that is. So what's the reward? The answer. But not from another person, the reward from God, if you will, or the universe. Yeah, I'm not sure that there is an actual reward for being humble. That would kind of defeat the purpose. <laughs> I'll be humble if I can make a few bucks on it, you know. For a few dollars, I'll be as humble as you want. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. But the humble person manages better. The arrogant guy can be doing well, but God forbid, if his business fails, he's not capable of handling that. The humble person. If God forbid he becomes very wealthy, he's better equipped to handle it without going off the deep end, you know, without getting crazy about it. Not always. You know, people who win the lottery go with sugar. Literally, their life falls apart. They, they fail. They're crushed by it. Some people who become wealthy become very nasty. They lose all their human niceties. But the humble guy is more likely to handle wealth that comes his way than the arrogant guy can handle poverty or failure. Even the threat of failure can make him mishugan because he's inflexible. Yeah. I we really didn't get into that at all. How do you humble somebody else? Well, I, I just wrote that down. Mm. I heard you say that. How do you humble a person? You I didn't know. Maybe. Maybe. Like how do you teach humility? Not how do you humble a person. I can tell you how, you do, how to humiliate a person. <laughs> but that's not the same thing. And by the way, this is an important point. If you experience a humiliating encounter, you have the option. Either perceive it as humiliation or chalk it up as humility. The arrogant person can't do that. He sees only humiliation. So if somebody insults you in public, what are you going to experience? Embarrassment, resentment, anger, hatred, violence, retaliation, jihad. That's what it is. Or you can chalk it up to humility. You were called a liar. How far from the truth is that? 
And if you didn't lie this time, what about last time? So if a person discovers your weakness, should you react with arrogance and with anger, or should you say, huh, how do you know? No, I'm, I'm talking about the one who's insulted. So if somebody says to me, you're such a liar, how do you know? I mean, it's true, but who told you? How did you figure it out so quickly, right? Because, what, there's no truth to it? You never lied in your life? Well, yeah, but he's a bigger liar. Oh, what, what is that? What, what is that? Nobody's talking about whether he's a liar. We're talking about whether you're a liar. You were the one who was accused. See, he's accusing me of being that liar? You're just changing the subject. Let's stick to the subject. Have you lied in your life? So humiliation and humility are two sides of the same coin. You can flip the coin if you want to. You don't have to be humiliated. And that's another reason that humble people are happier people. They don't get humiliated so often. They don't take offense so often. In fact, I've got to tell you this amazing statement. In the prayer book, in the, uh, in the bedtime Shema, just before going to sleep, there is this beautiful prayer that we say. It's not a prayer, it's a statement. Before you go to sleep every night, you basically say, I hereby forgive anyone who has hurt me, offended me, uh, hurt, uh, angered me, whatever. Isn't that beautiful? You go to sleep with no anger at anybody every night. A famous Hasid once said, that's very nice, but it does not belong in a Hasidic sitter. What kind of Hasid gets insulted by other people? What kind of Hasid has resentments that he has to give up every night? What, somebody hurt you, somebody embarrassed you? What are you talking about? Somebody hurt your ego? Your... This doesn't happen. Certainly not every single day. Every day you have to forgive somebody? But you're too sensitive. Lighten up. <laughs> Isn't that good? So he says, the end of that says, whether in this incarnation or a previous incarnation. Oh, oh, oh. So maybe in a previous incarnation you never studied Hasidus, so in that, so you're still angry from then. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but as a Hasid, what are you getting angry about? Who offends you? What is your fragile ego here that every night you have somebody to forgive? That's terrible. So humiliation and humility Flip the coin. It doesn't have to be a humiliation. It can simply be uh, humble. Yeah? Um, the um, I'm not sure what the English, you know, the distinction in the English words, but humility is a deeper degree of self-effacement than modesty. Modest means you will not boast, you will not take credit, but you're not giving up any ground. 
Humility means you're willing to give up some ground. If there's only one seat, I'll give up my seat for you. That's more than modest. Yeah. You spoke earlier on about uh, how the mind and how the intellect sees one side and the other side and one side and the other side. And for me, and I think for, I mean, I would like to think that for myself that that plays into trying to find truth. The truth is not so often revealed. The truth is you look at something and there's gray and there's white and, you know, maybe there's black and white, but most things are gray. Truth, I find, is not so easily revealed. That's correct. That's correct. Truth cannot be arrived at intellectually. Because, again, intellectually there are two sides to every argument. Truth has only one side. So how is a mind that is adept at looking at both sides going to discover the truth? And that's why when we face the truth, our mind goes blank. And all we can say is, uh-huh. <laughs> That's why it's so humbling, because the truth leaves no room for your subjective input. It is what it is, and that's it. Whereas the mind not only has a subjective view, it has two subjective views, or three, depending on what, you know, what a genius. A real genius can have seven opinions on the same subject, and they're all valid. You can go crazy from that, no? <laughs> You can go totally mishugia from that. Geniuses do. Geniuses sometimes do.